Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Grace this weekend. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Jeff, if I haven't met you before. And, uh, and if you're in the building, I would love to connect with you and say hi to you. If you're watching online, hello as well. And you can always come to the building and say hi to me. So I'd love to connect with you guys as well. We're, uh, before I jump into our conversation, I just want to like double click on these interns and residents. I uh, am so proud of them and grateful for them. Uh, these guys are, are hardworking uh, men and women. So they, uh, the interns are going to school full time. They're a part of a fully accredited undergraduate program that comes out of Indiana, a school from Indiana that's here. They're taught live in class, and so they're getting their college degrees and working at the church, and the residents are also full-time, and they're working on their master's degree. They're going to seminary, and so these guys are kind of full-time workers of full-time students, and uh, they bless us and serve a lot, and when you think about Grace Church, one of, one of the great uh, visions of Grace Church is to start 30 campuses in 30 years. And so we're working on campus number eight right now. That's the Sterling campus, or we've titled it the County Line Campus out near Sterling, Ohio. And these guys are the staff, they're the pastors, the directors, the missionaries that are going to kind of populate all those works. So proud of them. Thank you, guys. If you're a part of the Seed Project uh, that we launched a couple years ago, you're financing this, you're giving goes to these guys. So thank you so much for being a part of that. And uh, they're working hard and uh, making you proud. So like Ryan said, give them a high five. Their love language is Chipotle. So if you want to say a special thank you to them, uh, but connect with them and, and just be proud of them and, and uh, grateful for them and love them a ton. And then, uh, like Ryan said, that discovery group, if you're uh, watching online or if you're here, uh, one o'clock this afternoon, come in for that. If you're newer to Grace or you, you still feel new and you're still kind of finding your way around, maybe you've been watching online a lot and you just want to connect on a deeper level, that's what discovery does. And so that's this afternoon here in the Gent Road building. <clears throat> and uh, I look forward to meeting you there. And I, I promise you that once you go through discovery, uh, you won't feel new anymore. You'll feel like you can navigate your way around a little bit. So come on out and be a part of that. <clears throat> we are, um, we're in a series right now called We. And uh, in this series, we're talking about this idea that when we accept Christ as our savior, uh, the Bible says several things happen kind of instantaneously. When I turn from my sins and ask for Jesus's forgiveness and I place my life under his authority and direction, or I become born again is the way that Jesus terms it, or sometimes you'll hear the word get saved or we'd be saved a lot, become a Christ follower. When that happens, several things happen to me spiritually instantaneously. Uh, so one of the things that happens is my sins are forgiven. And that, that I'm washed whiter than snow is the way that the Bible says that I become a child of God. Uh, another thing that happens is the Holy Spirit indwells me. It's the way the Bible says it. We'll say God lives in my heart, right? But the Holy Spirit comes and he, he, he enters my heart or my soul the moment that I accept Christ as my Savior. When that happens, the Bible says he serves as a deposit on, in he, for heaven. So my place in heaven is locked down at that moment. And then something else that happens that we don't think about a lot all the time is I also become a part of the church. I'm one of the called out ones that Jesus says is his church. I become a part of the spiritual entity called the church of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says that every follower of Christ who has repented of their sin and placed their life under the definition of direction of Jesus or learning the Bible and living it out is a part of the true church of Jesus Christ globally. So that's like all over the planet. Everybody who has done that is a part of that church and all those same things have happened to them. And then the Bible teaches us to take that global church and to organize it into what we call local churches. So that's what Grace Church is. Grace is a local church, right? And the Bible even tells us how to operate a local church. It says, you know, you should have pastors and what the Bible calls elders or overseers. The Bible says we should gather together. We should teach the Bible. We should worship together. That's why Grace does 
all that things, all that we do. We should send out missionaries. We should start other churches. So that's not like our vision and strategy. That's us looking at the Bible and saying, we're trying to do what we believe God has told us to do in, in the Bible. Now at Grace, what we've done is we've taken all of that and we've kind of summarized it in a modern language that we call our eight values. And our eight values are the things that kind of, that drive grace and steer grace and are the pure, uh, paradigms for us to make decisions. And that's just simply us looking at the Bible, seeing what God said to do from the Bible, and then kind of putting a, a North American vernacular to it. But it's really just the Bible being played out and lived out in real time. So in this, in this series, we've been talking about this because as a follower of Christ, you have a personal relationship with Christ, and then you also have a corporate relationship with Christ. The me becomes the we. So when you read the Bible, sometimes the Bible will kind of press into your life very personally. It might confront you of a sin or comfort you in some way or encourage you in some way. But then there's the other parts of the Bible that speak to the church in general, and you as an individual follower of Christ should also embrace that part of it. When the Bible's talking to the church, it's talking to you, it's talking to me as an individual. So when the Bible says things like, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples, I'm looking and saying the church should be doing that, and what is my role within the church to help that happen as well? I would hear it corporately and then hear it personally also, okay? So we've been talking about all those things and, and we use our eight values to communicate that. So we've we laid some of those things out. So we started talking about the first one that we share life together. And we believe that's a biblical value or a biblical thing that we should do. So small groups, life groups, connect groups, those things are not there for us to like organize a big church we look and say, no, God says that Christianity is a team sport. So I actually cannot honor God unless I'm sharing my life with other people and allowing them to share their lives with me. So I need to love one another, bear each other's burdens, confess our sins to one another, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, share our possessions with each other. That's why we take an offering, all those kind of things. That's all out of the Bible. And so we organize it in the small groups. It's the way that makes sense to us, but it's not just a strategy. It's a biblical directive and you need biblical community. The church needs to do that. And then you personally need to be a part of it. And then we talked last weekend about one of our values that we say we live to make Jesus make sense, that we need to proclaim the gospel or tell other people about Jesus. The only group of people on planet Earth that believe that Jesus is God and he is the sole source of salvation and want you to know that you need that salvation is the church of Jesus Christ. Nobody else will say that. Nobody else is even called to say that. So as followers of Christ, if I don't do that personally in the relationships that I have, and we don't do that corporately as a church, then no one will ever know about the hope of Jesus, right? So we would look and say, that that's not just a way for us to get more people to come to church. That's not what that's about at all. We believe that's a biblical mandate that God would say, this is what my people do, and this is the message that you're supposed to proclaim, right? So we've been talking about that, and those conversations are online, and they're on the podcast, and they're on the app and encourage you to kind of get your head around it because it's a big, important part of your walk and your connection with Jesus. Now, this weekend, I want to take us to another one of these values. And this one is a little bit weird on the surface. In fact, uh, it's, uh, I, we're the only church that I know about that has this as a value. I'm sure there are other churches that have it, but I, I don't know of them, right? But we looked and said, this value is so important. This mindset is so important that we want to anchor it. We kind of write it in concrete at Grace Church. And when we started uh, Grace many, many years ago, uh, we kind of put this in from the get-go. And we knew that we needed this value because we knew that it would, it would keep us focused on the mission and the vision that Christ has laid out for us, okay? So let me show it to you, and then we'll, we'll explain a little bit. Okay, so here's the value. It's this one. We would say this. The value is that we do hard things. It's one of the eight values of Grace Church, and we define it this way. When given two options, 
We'll choose the one that no one else wants to tackle. We will intentionally go where hope is hard to find. We will do hard things. We're given two options. We're going to choose the one that nobody else wants to do, right? When when we look and say that the trend of the culture is is to kind of compromise the Bible this way, we're not going to do that. When we look geographically and say, everybody's kind of leaving this part of the world because it became dangerous and unhealthy, we're going to go to that part of the world, right? Everybody's kind of reaching these people because they're more easily reached. We're actually going to focus on these people as well because nobody else is volunteering to do it. When, When two options are presented and everybody raises their hand and says, I'll do option one, and nobody raises their hand to do option two, Grace Church has decided we'll raise our hand and we'll do option two. We will intentionally do that. And where hope is hard to find is where we're going to go. Where the gospel is not clear and is not easily accessible is where we're going to put our energy, where we're going to put our money, where we're going to try to plant campuses, where we're going to send our missionaries. We're going to do that on purpose because nobody else is volunteering to do it, so we're going to do it. We're going to do hard things. Now, the reason that we make that such a big deal and anchored it into our values is because we recognize from scripture and from experience a tendency. And I have this tendency, you have this tendency, Grace Church has this tendency, and other churches have this tendency. So don't point your finger at anybody because you have the problem too, right? And the tendency is this. My tendency and your tendency and the church's tendency is this, is to interact with God based on what he can do for me instead of interacting with God based on what I can do for him. And that's my tendency and your tendency and most churches' tendency. Uh, Here's a way that you can measure this or I can prove it to you. If you just thought about your prayer life for the last month, if if, if we could somehow record every prayer that you've prayed in the last month, write it down and categorize it, I promise you that the bulk of the prayers that you have prayed over the last month have been in a category of God help my life be more the way that I want it to be. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's a sin. The Bible says you should cast all of your cares on Christ. You should boldly go into the throne room of God and make your requests known. So I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm saying it's a tendency. But most of our prayers, mine too, have something to do with God make my life go the way that I want it to go. God, if you could help me do good on this test. God, if you could get me the loan that I'm trying to get. God, if you can make a better job. God, if you could help it not rain. God, if you would give me a safe trip. God, if you would relieve this illness that I have or someone that I have, uh, that someone I love has. God, if you would help this girl fall in love with me because prayer is the only way that that's gonna happen, right? So, but if you categorize it, most of our prayers have something to do with God make my life go the way that I want it to go. It's a tendency. A small minority of our prayers would be something like this. God, use my life in any way that you want to use it. God, if you'll receive more glory by my failure, let me fail. God, if your gospel will be more amplified by me being sick, give me the strength to bear the sickness. God, if you... If you will direct my life, then close down the easy options and I'll take the hard path. We rarely would pray that. It's not our tendency to pray that, okay? Our tendency is some version of God, if you could bless and help my life move, that would be great. And what happens then is that tendency spills over into how and why we interact with the church because the me becomes the we, right? So now corporately, those tendencies become the church. And, and to, to help you understand that, if, you, if I started to survey you, say, why do you come to Grace Church? Uh, the surveys would be something like this. There would be some category of this because I have surveyed you and so I know these things, right? So it would be some category of 
Why did you come, why did you start coming to Grace Church? Number one reason, my friends go there. So number one way that people come to Grace is somebody invites them to Grace. And, and again, it's not bad, it's just a tendency. My friends go there. And then you would ask the question, well, why do you stay? Well, it would get into what we like. Well, the, the youth program is phenomenal. I love what they do with the teenagers there. The children, the, my kids always ask me to go to church. They want to go down the slide and they want to get sugar high on the cookies. And, and like, we, we love that. And then it would kick into the adult world. Well, I, we love the services. What about it? Well, we love the music. The music is phenomenal. More subwoofer is my life's cry, which is also my life's cry. Turn up the bass, right? And so we love the music. Music. And the teaching is phenomenal. Like it applies to us. Pastor Ryan, Pastor Jeff, they're not boring when they teach. Pastor Jeff is sexy, you know? And so like, I like all that kind of stuff, right? So it, it affects me. And, and, and I'm inspired and motivated by it. Plus, it's near my house and they have so many different services or I just watch it online. They have a live stream. I can kind of do what I want and then watch church and not really interrupt my life. Now, none of that's a sin. I also listen to speakers who engage me. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm not even saying it's shallow. It's just a tendency. Rarely would we look and say, why, why, do, you, why do you go to Grace Church? You know why I go to Grace Church? Because they're always in my face about my sin. I love that. Right? I love it when they call me out. They actually get involved in my life. There's nothing I love more than a church that personally messes with me. That's never on the list. Right? You know what I love about Grace Church? They're, they always need money. I love that. I'm like, woohoo, another financial campaign. That's never on the list. Right? Why do you love Grace Church? Because they suck up all of my free time. It's the best. It's never on the list. And so the things that the church actually is called to do are not usually the reasons we're drawn there in the first place, okay? Now, no guilt trip. I'm the same way. It's just our tendency. And what happens is this. The reason that we would anchor this value in the church is because we know that. I know that about my own life, and, and I know that about us corporately when the me becomes the we, that you're, you're never gonna drift into hard things. You're always gonna drift away from it. You're never gonna drift into the radical stuff of God. You're always gonna drift away from it. So you have to anchor this stuff in your life because if you don't counteract that, it does cross over into sin if you don't kind of bring a stop to it. Actually, the Apostle Paul was talking to his protege, Timothy, and he warned him about this. And he said, Timothy, listen, you gotta know this. A, a, a time is gonna come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you gotta check this tendency in your own life and in the life of the church. You gotta put it in check because if, it, if it's left unchecked, then what's gonna happen is people are only gonna come to churches that agree with everything they believe. And if the culture drifts and the church says, does it really matter what the courts say is legal? This is still what is right. People will leave the church. They'll be offended. If the culture drifts and the church says, hey, I, I know what you're feeling and what you want, but the Bible says this, then suddenly I, I, I don't want to honor my parents. I don't want to work on my marriage. I want to do what I want to do. And you're offending me that you won't agree with that. And Paul's telling Timothy, you let this tendency go unchecked and that's what you're gonna wind up with. You're gonna, you're gonna wind up with people who don't wanna hear the truth. They don't wanna hear the hard truths of, of, of the scripture and they don't wanna do the hard stuff. They wanna, they wanna say, well, I, I'm, I pay for this place. It should service me. And it, they'll move away from this is a part of my worship and my interaction with God and I am the we 
And this is the things that God has called us to. So Paul says, Timothy, that's going to happen. It, it always drifts that way. So you got to put it in check. But you, Timothy, this is what you got to do. You got to keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Because Timothy, when you don't move, when you stay faithful to God's word and the mission and the vision of Jesus, when you don't move, you're going to pay for that. It's, gonna, it's not easy to go against the grain of a culture. It's not easy to, to not be able to agree with the friend that you love, see? So you gotta endure hardship and you have to do the work of an evangelist because Timothy, when that time comes, something else that's gonna happen is the idea that Jesus Christ is the sole source of salvation, that you are not a good person, you're actually a sinner and you need rescued from your sin and there's only one path to heaven because Jesus is the one who says there's only one path to heaven. That message is not gonna be popular. Nobody's gonna give you a high five for saying that. So you have to do the hard, you have to do the work of an evangelist and it's going to be hard because nobody's really looking to be evangelized anymore. See. So you do the work of the evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Timothy, you're going to have to do the hard things. And when given two options, the the option of of compromise or the option of holding to the truth, you got to choose the truth. The option of just getting along and not offending anybody instead of telling them the truth and loving them enough to make sure they know it, you're gonna have to choose this one. You're gonna have to go to places where hope is hard to find because you're gonna be the only one and the church is gonna be the only place that's actually proclaiming what real hope is. So that's gonna come, Timothy. And if you don't put that in check in your life and teach the church to put it in check in their lives, then a bunch of people are gonna hear what they wanna hear and they're gonna lose their soul in the process. It's gonna be hard. So keep your head. You stay anchored to the truth and you have to know that this is the way it's gonna be. Now what's happened in our culture in the last 30 or 40 years is this. This idea has become very foreign because we've been taught generally that if you accept Jesus and bring him into your life, he improves your life. So we're taught that all the time. Do you want purpose? Do you want meaning? Do you want fulfillment? Do you want balance? You need Jesus, right? And then it even kicks up a level. If you want prosperity, if you want blessing, you want money, you want health, you want your hair to grow back, you need Jesus. Like Jesus will fix all of your problems. And so what happens is this, when faced with a hard decision, we haven't been taught that hard decisions and hard choices are actually natural for the follower of Jesus Christ because we've been taught that if I follow Jesus, my life goes the way that I want it to go. So when troubles hit or difficulties hit or I have to deny myself or, or I have to work hard at a relationship, my natural thinking is that God isn't in it because Jesus makes everything go better. And actually, the Bible talks about this too. Peter, the apostle Peter, is talking to the early church in this passage. And in 1 Peter chapter four, he says this. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. Peter talks to the early church and to us through the scriptures and said, guys, don't be surprised when you have to do hard things. Don't be surprised that you're out of sync with the natural flow of the culture. Don't be surprised that you're not, you're not able to live like everybody else is able to live. That's normal. There's nothing strange happening. Followers of Jesus have never lined up with the culture ever. The church has never been in sync with the government and the culture ever. The only time that the church of Jesus Christ has come into sync with the government and with the culture is when the church has compromised the truth. The very nature of the church is that we cut against the grain. The very nature of the followers of God is that we live differently. We don't value what everybody else's values. We don't live the way that everybody else lives. Our morals are not the same as everybody else's morals because we draw them all from the Bible and the Bible in essence, in its very essence is countercultural. 
So Peter says, don't, you're going to pay for that. People are going to look at you and call you judgmental and self-righteous. And the, even the governments are going to persecute you and say that that's illegal, even though it's morally right. And, and don't, don't be shocked by that. There's nothing strange happening to you. God hasn't, hasn't forsaken you. That's the way that it is. There's nothing unique about that in your time and age. It's always been that way. It's the normal course for those who follow Jesus. He goes on, he says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter's just looking at the church and saying, guys, we do hard things. It's what we do. We live a countercultural life. It's what we do. It's not a new thing. It's just what we do. We don't sync up with the mindsets around us. We never have. And, and don't, if you're persecuted, don't be persecuted for being a jerk. Don't be persecuted for doing something that, like a criminal. Don't be persecuted for being a meddler. You don't have to stand on a street corner and yell at people and be obnoxious. But don't bend. There's nothing weird going on because you're taking a hit on social media or on the team or at work or at home or in culture. You're not supposed to sync up. And if you are totally in sync with the culture around you, you're probably not totally in sync with Christ. So you're blessed if that happens. Good for you. That means that you're living the way, that you're making the choices, that you're choosing to do hard things, right? It's normal. It is the way that a church is to function. It's the way that a follower of Jesus is supposed to function. Now, this is what I love in the scripture. The Bible says, listen, this is the way that it is. In fact, if, if you don't get this in check, you're gonna drift over to sin. So just know that we're all kind of wired this way. It's no big deal. It's just the way that we are. But we're different. We placed our life under the authority and the direction of someone that's not us. So it's okay that you kind of go that way, but we always come back to Christ's authority and do what he says. And when you do that, there's a risk to it. There's a risk to doing hard things. You're going to be persecuted. There's a cost to it. And so it's, it's gonna cost you social credibility. It, it's gonna cost you decisions. It's gonna cost you in a relational way. It's gonna cost you money. It's gonna cost you time. It's just the way that it is. No big deal. But when you do those things for Christ, you're gonna be blessed for it and... And there is a massive reward that God wants to give you. You can gain the world, but you're going to lose your soul, the Bible says. But if you go after your soul, if you go after the kingdom of God, there is a reward that is greater. Jesus says it this way. He says, what you need to be doing is you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, reward in heaven. And when you build reward in heaven, it cannot be stolen. It, it will not degrade. Moth and rust won't affect it. It's an eternal reward that is guaranteed and that you will enjoy forever. You gain things on earth, they'll come and go. But you gain things in heaven and they're there forever. And that eternal reward will put all the price tags of doing hard things in their proper places. You won't even care about it because of the magnitude of what God wants to give you. This is the way the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, therefore, don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you are rewarded, and some of the reward comes on this side of heaven, and most of it comes on the other side of heaven, when you are rewarded, all of your troubles, all the hard things, all the difficult choices, they're going to feel like they're light and momentary. It was not that big of a deal in comparison to what God wants to give you. You're, you think right now you're being persecuted and you're suffering and life is so hard and, and I have to invest in this. And I got to give my time in this way and all this is difficult. And the apostle Paul is like, that's nothing. 
It's nothing in comparison to how God is going to reward you and bless you because you did for that. Real prosperity is not me having money on the planet. It's me having treasure in heaven. Real blessing is not my life going without any speed bumps on the planet. It's my life being eternally blessed in heaven. And a believer, a Christ follower, is one who is a person of faith. It's the nature of who we are. So we place our faith, we fix our faith at a higher place. We believe in something bigger than the circumstances that are around us. And this is what Paul tells us to do. He says, so what we do in order to like keep this perspective is we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We look and say, if I'll do this hard thing now, the payoff is going to be massive. And I can't see the payoff at this moment, but I believe and know with confidence, confidence that it's going to be there because God has promised it to us. The unseen and the eternal reward will play out as we're with Christ and it will be sweeter and better than anything that we can have on the planet. Imagine, imagine what it will be like when you get to heaven And imagine a scenario like this. You're in heaven, you're hanging out with Jesus, you know for sure now that he was a Buckeyes fan because you're talking to him, right? And you're hanging out with Jesus and you're talking and suddenly this person comes up to you and they say, hey, I'm so-and-so. You probably don't know me yet, but do you know that you really impacted my life? How in the world did I impact your life? Well, do you remember? Do you remember how you used to give up every Tuesday night and you you were a volunteer at game day and you used to get together with all these obnoxious little kids who couldn't play basketball and you would invest in them and it took every Tuesday night for like three months out of your life. Remember doing that? Yeah, I remember doing that. And remember, we'd get together as these little kids, and, and, and there was this one kid that was always kind of the ornery one. And you'd try to teach the verse, and he wouldn't sit still. And you'd try to have the Bible lesson, and he wouldn't listen. But you remember, you just kind of kept loving that kid, and he always had like a little bit of a problem with authority. But you, you found out that he doesn't really know who his dad is, so he doesn't know how to respond to a guy having authority in his life. But you kind of hung in there with that kid, and you kind, he kind of learned to play basketball, but mostly he he learned just to connect with you. Remember that kid? Yeah, I remember that kid. Remember when you sat down with that kid one-on-one and you went through the gospel and he asked that kid if he wanted to be friends with Jesus and he said, yes, remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Remember later on, the, the next year the kid came back and he grew some more and, and the next se- after the next season, he got baptized and started getting connected with the church. Remember that kid? Yeah, I remember that kid. Remember how you kind of invited that kid into your family and you started picking that kid up for church and he hung out with you all the time and, and, and he just got kind of became part of the gang. Remember that kid? Yeah, I remember that kid. Remember how he grew up in the youth group? Yeah. Remember how after he graduated from high school, because he has no dad, he has no networks, because that's one of the results of fatherlessness is there's no connections anywhere. So you pulled a string and you helped that kid get into trade school. Remember that kid? Yeah, I remember that kid. And remember he got a good job and he met a really neat girl and they got married and they started having a family and they kind of became a part of Grace Church. Remember all that? I do remember all that. I'm that kid's grandkid. And that kid broke the cycles of poverty and fatherlessness and godlessness. And you didn't even, you can't even live long enough to see it all, but I'm that kid's grandkid. And, and I can't even relate to what my grandfather went through, but I'm so glad you burned an evening a week and blew all of your weekends out through the game day season. I am your reward for doing something difficult. Another girl walks up, say, hey, I don't know you, but I wanna tell you a story. I'll do some heaven math for you. Remember that time 
when the church was doing famine relief, that feed my starving children thing. Remember that? I remember that. Remember uh, the, the pastor got up and said they needed money. Not Ryan, the sexy one. Jeff, was that his name? Yeah, that was it. Remember he got up and said they needed money. And, and you, he, you talked about all that. And you left church and you felt kind of convicted and a little bit guilty. You're like, oh, I guess I should help starving kids. So you skipped sushi that weekend and you gave the hundred bucks to feed my starving children. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Then remember like that one Friday night you got your friends together and y'all went and you packed that food up. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. And you prayed over and it got shipped out all over the world. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. You know who I am? Who? I'm the girl on the other end of that that cried out to God for something to eat. And I said, if there's a God, would you feed me? And the food showed up. And it filled my belly and it caused my mind to be curious. And there was a missionary and there was a church and on the other side of the world, I found Jesus. And then I found out that there's a spiritual group of people that's all over the planet that all talk to the same God and I did the math that when I talked to their God, their God talked to them. And you didn't have to go hungry, you just skipped sushi but it changed my life. It's unseen, but eternal. You know who I am? I never met you before. Remember, remember when you would open your house up every Thursday and have life group and you'd rush home from work and you'd yell at the kids and you shove like some macaroni and cheese down their throat and then everybody ran the vacuum and the, the family fight stopped about three minutes before the doorbell rang. Remember that? And these people would show up at your house every Tuesday and they would have life group. And remember that one guy that came and he started showing up and at first you were glad to see him and then you realized he kind of dominated the conversation all the time. And that guy, he wasn't super interested in following Jesus. He was actually just trying to stay sober. And so his sobriety became the dominant conversation and he was always there and it felt like you were always just kind of keeping his head above water. And then remember that time that you gave him your cell phone number and you often thought, Maybe I made a mistake in doing that because he called you all the time. And every time he was on the verge of blowing up his sobriety or his life, he would call you. But you gave your time and you gave your energy and you poured into this guy and he did be, stopped being a project and started to become a friend. And remember you let him to Jesus and you just kind of went through life with him and he never like soared and became the super Christian, but he did stay sober and he did love Jesus. You know that guy? Yeah, I'm that guy's kid. And when you engaged him, he engaged God. And when he engaged God, he re-engaged me. And it, it just nudged me a little bit. And my life is completely different. Now that I'm in heaven, I do all the math and I see what you did. See. Paul says these hard things, it's light and momentary. The, 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 the hard work and the payment and the risk, it's going to go away. But the reward, the reward is eternal. And it, it will never be robbed. And we have to fix our eyes on that. And we're people of faith, and so we think that way. The hard work and the cost is going to be forgotten. Listen, and the earthly gains that you took instead of the heavenly gains are also going to be forgotten. In eternity, you're not going to give a rip how old your car is or how new your iPhone is. You're not gonna care. Without Christ, you're gonna regret that you bought into that. And with Christ, you are too. Because you're gonna look and you're gonna say, man, I, I could have, I wish I would have, I robbed myself of. Because I chose a life of ease and comfort and safety and security when I could have chosen a life of consequence 
an eternal value. And we're always going to drift to what's easy. None of this comes natural unless we decide to choose what's hard. Heidi and I watch, a, we watch a lot of sports, a lot of high school and junior high sports because the kids, so our, our three sons all play lacrosse and so we sit lacrosse games a lot. Actually, it's a blast. I love doing it. So we watch them. And then our daughter plays soccer and basketball and so we, we sit there as well. So kind of our whole you know, school year is filled up with sports. And I've noticed something about high school sports. When you think about how to win a high school athletic event or a junior high athletic event, and you think about the players, every once in a while, there's a player that's a phenom, right? He, he's, he or she's the LeBron James, and she's just, he's just a freak of nature. And when I see a kid like that, I try to get to know them. I want to lead them to Christ. I want to disciple them because when they're rich and famous, I want them to remember me. I'm just being honest about it. And so uh, you'll, you'll run into that kid every once in a while. They're, they're just phenomenal, and they work hard and all the rest, but they just, they're just genetically above everybody else. That's the weirdo. That's the anomaly in high school and junior high sports. In junior high and high school sports, and especially in women's sports, our daughter obviously plays women's sports. This is, this is who wins women's sports. It's not the kid with all the talent. It's not the kid that's the fastest. The people who dominate the field at the junior high and high school level are the kids that can take a hit. And if they can take a hit and deliver a hit, they will dominate the field. I know this because my daughter can take a hit. She gets it from her mother, right? And it's the tough kid, the, tid, the, the, the kid that can take a hit and deliver a hit, who's not afraid of the ball and is not afraid of the other kid. And their aggression, and the positive sense of the word, their aggression is what dominates the field. And the kids that are aggressive they win. The kids are afraid to be aggressive. They don't win. And it's all about what level of pain you can tolerate and whether you choose to accept it or not. As one of my fears is, is that we can't take a hit. That when hard choices need to be made in life, we can't take a hit. Because if it interrupts my happiness or my plan or my financial stability, I'm out. And so we'll come up with manageable ways to follow Jesus, planned and strategic ways to follow Jesus. And here's the deal. If I can budget it, plan it, strategize it, and put it on a five-year plan, why do I need God to show up? There's no faith. So we don't take the great risks, which means we never receive the great rewards. And the church of Jesus is safe and comfortable and Christ has slipped kind of nicely and easily into the plan that we have for our life already. And we start to believe that doing something hard is the absence of God instead of the invitation from God. It's our tendency. It's mine too. I don't mean it as a guilt trip. I just mean it more as a warning. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm at the phase of my life where I get frustrated sometimes that my life isn't easier. You know, when, when do you start to arrive, right? And it will frustrate me. And what's fascinating is back, back when we started Grace Church, it, it, it was all about guts and glory, man, because there was nothing else to work with. There was no money. There were no people. There were no buildings. There was nothing to work with. The reason that Heidi and I started businesses is because the church couldn't pay us enough to be here. We had to figure out another way to make a living. So we're all in on all that. So that's where all that stuff came from for us. And now, these years later, 
I kind of like it. I, I'll be honest with you. I like getting a paycheck from the church. It's really nice. I like health insurance. I am pro-health insurance. See? It's nice that I don't have to volunteer for everything. I can just kind of put my name on a list once a month. The old days when you had to sing in the band and run to the nursery and get over to the junior high event. But now I just get to show up at church. Go to life group once in a while. And things have been blessed. And things become comfortable. And it's not that hard. And this is what happens. When my life is going the way that I want it to go, I don't want to risk it anymore. I want it to keep going that way. And it's our tendency, and it can become our temptation. And the people of God will lose their nerve because they want God to bless them instead of asking God to invest them. See? So we have to decide. We have to decide to do hard things. We have to decide to live differently. And if you look at the scripture and what the teachers say, they're pretty clear, Jesus too. It's always gonna be hard, it never levels out. It's always pedal to the metal. The work of the church is never done. The calling on your life never backs off. There is no concept in the Bible called retirement, none. And it is the nature of following Jesus. See? The followers of Christ, by very virtue of who we are, do hard things. We choose. We choose to not hide in the house. We choose to walk across the street and get to know our neighbor and care about their soul. We make that decision. That's never just gonna happen. We, we choose to, to, instead of avoiding an enemy, we choose to seek them out and love them. It's a difficult, we got two options. We're gonna choose the one that's harder. We, we choose to be generous instead of indulging ourselves. because how big does the TV need to be? We, we choose to not be passive. You have your faith, I have my faith, we're just finding our way. Instead, we choose to lead, lead the family, lead the group, lead the team, lead the church. The harder option. We choose to not manage our sin, but to eradicate it. We choose purity over impulse. We choose to place Christ at the the focal point of our life instead of the peripheral of our life. And as we do that individually, the me becomes the we. Now we as a church, we decide to own problems that aren't ours. Nobody here is starving to death. Why is that our problem? Because it can be. Because it's difficult. Because God has positioned us to do something about it. We choose to go places we wouldn't naturally go. Why would we go to that neighborhood? Why would we be involved with those people? Because everybody else is trying to get out of it. So we're gonna go on purpose where hope is hard to find. We choose to embrace relationships that other people are rejecting. Nobody wants to deal with those people. We'll do it. Nobody wants those people around their kids. We'll take them. Nobody wants to shoulder those problems. We will. Why? Because we're the people of God. It's what we do. We're a people of faith. We're a people of courage. We're a people of power and authority that has been given to us by the creator of the heavens and the earth. We're a people of risk. We're a people of sacrifice. It's who we 
are. We're just mimicking what our Savior did. He was really happy and really safe and really content in heaven. But he stepped out of it on purpose to bring hope where it's hard to find, taking on the very nature of a servant. It's simply who we are. There's nothing weird about you choosing to do hard things. There's nothing odd or unique about our church corporately choosing to do hard things. I would argue it's just what the Bible teaches us to do. But it doesn't come naturally. It has to be a decision that we make. Guys, listen, I, I dare you not to live an easy life. I dare you not to make life about your comfort and your success and your security and yourself. I dare you to live above that stuff. I dare you to push through pain. I dare you to invite it. I dare you to pray that God uses your life, not that he just blesses your life. I dare you to do it. Live a life of consequence. Nobody else is. What's celebrated in our culture today is the four-hour work week, and somehow I get to a place in life where I can be on vacation for the rest of it. Your life will not matter, and you will sacrifice your soul in the process. Live above it. It's what marks the people of God. And it's the example, it's the model, it's the ministry methodology of Jesus. We do hard things. We choose the path that nobody else wants to tackle. And we intentionally go places where hope is hard to find. Jesus, help us with this. God, on individual levels, help us. Holy Spirit, if you even now, in individual hearts and minds, would bring to mind the hard thing, the relationship that needs healed, the change that needs made in a marriage, the the money that needs to be given instead of hoarded, the, the, the time that needs invested, the the cruise that needs canceled and the mission trip that needs to be taken. I I don't know, whatever it is, put it in our heart and mind now and God, give us courage, courage to live a different life, to be unique in our love, in our sacrifice, in our investment. And Jesus, I pray that for your church, Grace Church. God, help us to not lose our nerve. Every time we've stepped out on faith, you have met us there, every time. When it it would not add up with the bank and the schedule and the time frame, you met us every time. So God, help us to remember that boldness and confidence and power and authority that is given from you. It does not come from us. To always have the nerve to go to the places that need hope. God, empower us as your people. Energize us as your people. Embolden us as your people. And God, Help us to choose to be who you've called us to be. Work in our hearts and minds, even in these moments, Jesus, in your name. Amen.